Chapter Four of Alice Dugdale by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anthony Ogus. The Beethamites. It was told all through Beetham before a week was over that Major Rossiter was to marry the second Miss Wanless, and Beetham liked the news. Beetham was proud that one of her sons should be introduced into the great neighbouring family and especially that he should be honoured by the hand of the acknowledged beauty. Beetham, a month ago, had declared that Alice Dugdale, a Beethamite herself from her babyhood, who had been born and bred at Beetham, and had ever lived there, was to be honoured by the hand of the young hero. But it may be doubted whether Beetham had been altogether satisfied with the arrangement. We are apt to envy the good luck of those who have always been familiar with us, why should it have been Alice Dugdale, any more than one of the Tweed girls, or Miss Simkins, the daughter of the attorney, who would certainly have a snug little fortune of her own, which unfortunately would not be the case with Alice Dugdale? It had been felt that Alice was hardly good enough for their hero. Alice, who had been seen about with all the Dugdale children, pushing them in perambulators almost every day since the eldest was born, we prefer the authority of a stranger to that of one chosen from among ourselves. As the two Miss Tweeds and Miss Simkins, with Alice and three or four others, could not divide the hero among them, it was better, then, that the hero should go from among them and choose a fitting mate in a higher realm. They all felt the greatness of the Wanlesses, and argued with Mrs. Rossiter that the rising star of the village should obtain such assistance in rising as would come to him from an almost noble marriage. There had been certainly a decided opinion that Alice was to be the happy woman. Mrs. Dugdale, the stepmother, had boasted of the promotion, and old Mr. Rossiter had whispered his secret conviction into the ear of every favoured parishioner. The doctor himself had allowed his patients to ask questions about it. This had become so common that Alice herself had been inwardly indignant, would have been outwardly indignant, but that she could not allow herself to discuss the matter. That having been so, Beetham ought to have been scandalised by the fickleness of her hero. Beetham ought to have felt that her hero was most unheroic but at any rate among the ladies there was no shadow of such a feeling. Of course such a man as the Major was bound to do the best for himself. The giving away of his hand in marriage was a very serious thing, and was not to be obligatory on a young hero because he had been carried away by the fervour of old friendship to kiss a young lady immediately on his return home. The history of the kiss was known all over Beetham, and was declared by competent authorities to have amounted to nothing. It was a last lingering touch of childhood's happy embracings, and if Alice was such a fool as to take it for more, she must pay the penalty of her folly. "'It was in her father's presence,' said Mrs. Rossiter, defending her son to Mrs. Tweed, and Mrs. Tweed had expressed her opinion that the kiss ought to go for nothing. The Major was to be acquitted, and the fact of the acquittal made its way even to the doctor's nursery, so that Alice knew that the man might marry that girl at Brook Park with clean hands. 
That, as she declared to herself, did not increase her sorrow. If the man were minded to marry the girl, he was welcome for her, and she apologised for him to her own heart. What a man generally wants, she said, is a beautiful wife, and of the beauty of Miss Georgiana Wanless there could be no doubt. Only, only, only there had been a dozen words which she should have left unspoken. That which riveted the news on the minds of the Bethamites was the stopping of the Brook Park carriage at the door of the parsonage one day about a week after the Major's visit. It was not altogether an unprecedented occurrence. Had there been no precedent, it could hardly have been justified on the present occasion. Perhaps once in two years Lady Wanless would call at the parsonage, and then there would be a return visit during which a reference would always be made to Wadham and Christchurch. The visit was now out of its order, only nine months having elapsed, of which irregularity Beetham took due notice. On this occasion Miss Wanless and the third young lady accompanied their mother, leaving Georgiana at home. What was whispered between the two old ladies, Beetham did not quite know, but made its surmises. It was in this wise. We were so glad to have the Major over with us, said her ladyship. It was good of you, said Mrs. Rossiter. He is a great favourite with Sir Walter. That is so good of Sir Walter. And we are quite pleased to have him among our young people. That was all, but it was quite sufficient to tell Mrs. Rossiter that John might have Georgiana Wanless for the asking and that Lady Wanlist expected him to ask. Then the parting was much more affectionate than it had ever been before, and there was a squeezing of the hand, and a nodding of the head, which meant a great deal. Alice held her tongue, and did her work, and attempted to be cheery through it all. Again and again she asked herself, what did it matter? Even though she were unhappy, even though she felt a keen, palpable perpetual aching at her heart what would it matter so long as she could go about and do her business some people in this world had to be unhappy perhaps most people and this was a sorrow which though it might not wear off would by wearing become dull enough to be bearable she distressed herself in that there was any sorrow providence had given to her a certain condition of life to which many charms were attached. She thoroughly loved the people about her, her father, her little brothers and sisters, even her overworn and somewhat idle stepmother. She was a queen in the house, a queen among her busy toils, and she liked being a queen, and liked being busy. No one ever scolded her or crossed her or contradicted her. She had the essential satisfaction of the consciousness of usefulness. Why should not that suffice to her? She despised herself because there was a hole in her heart, because she felt herself to shrink all over when the name of Georgiana Wanless was mentioned in her hearing. Yet she would mention the name herself and speak with something akin to admiration of the Wanless family and she would say how well it was that men should strive to rise in the world, and how that the world progressed through such individual efforts. 
but she would not mention the name of John Rossiter, nor would she endure that it should be mentioned in her hearing with any special reference to herself. Mrs. Dugdale, though she was overworn and idle, a warped and almost useless piece of furniture, made, as was said before, of bad timber, yet saw more of this than any one else, and was indignant. To lose Alice, to have no one to let down those tucks and take up those stitches, would be to her the loss of all her comforts. But though she was feckless, she was true-hearted, and she knew that Alice was being wronged. It was Alice that had a right to the hero, and not that stuck-up young woman at Brook Park. It was thus she spoke of the affair to the doctor, and after a while found herself unable to be silent on the subject to Alice herself. "'If what they say does take place, I shall think worse of John Rossiter than I ever did of any man I ever knew.' This she said in the presence both of her husband and her stepdaughter. "'John Rossiter will not be very much the worse for that,' said Alice, without relaxing a moment from her work. There was a sound of drolling in her voice, as though she were quizzing her stepmother for her folly. "'It seems to me that men may do anything now,' continued Mrs. Dugdale. "'I suppose they're the same now as they always were,' said the doctor. "'If a man chose to be false, he could always be false.' "'I call it unmanly,' said Mrs. Dugdale. "'If I were a man, I would beat him.' "'What would you beat him for?' said Alice, getting up and as she did so throwing down on the table before her the little frock she was making. If you had the power of beating him, why would you beat him? Because he is ill-using you. How do you know that? Did I ever tell you so? Have you ever heard a word that he has said to me, either direct from himself or second-hand, that justifies you in saying that he has ill-used me? You ill-use me when you speak like that. Alice, do not be so violent said the doctor. Father, I will speak of this once and once of a for all, and then pray, pray let there be no further mention of it. I have no right to complain of anything in Major Rossiter. He has done me no wrong. Those who love me should not mention his name in reference to me. He is a villain, said Mrs. Dugdale. He is no villain. He is a gentleman, as far as I know, from the crown of his head to the sole of his foot. Does it ever occur to you how little you make of me when you talk of him in this way? Dismiss it all from your mind, father, and let things be as they were. Do you think that I am pining for any man's love? I say that Major Rossiter is a true man and a gentleman, but I would not give my Bobby's little finger for all his whole body. Then there was silence and afterwards the doctor told his wife that the major's name had better not be mentioned again among them. Alice on this occasion was, or appeared to be, very angry with Mrs. Dugdale, but on that evening and the next morning there was an accession of tenderness in her usually sweet manner to her stepmother. The expression of her mother's anger against the major had been wrong, but the feeling of anger was not the less endearing. Some time after that, one evening, the parson came upon Alice as she was picking flowers in one of the Beetham lanes. 
She had all the children with her, and was filling Minnie's apron with roses from the hedge. Old Mr. Rossiter stopped and talked to them, and after a while succeeded in getting Alice to walk on with him. "'You haven't heard from John?' he said. "'Oh, no,' replied Alice, almost with a start. And then she added quickly, "'There is no one at our house likely to hear from him. He does not write to anyone there.' "'I did not know whether any message might have reached you.' "'I think not.' "'He is to be here again before long,' said the parson. "'Oh, indeed!' She had but a moment to think of it all. But after thinking, she continued, "'I suppose he'll be going over to Brook Park.' "'I fear he will.' "'Fear? Why should you fear, Mr. Rossiter? If that is true, it is the place where he ought to be.' "'But I doubt it's truth, my dear.' "'Ah, I know nothing about that. "'If so, he had better stay up in London, I suppose. "'I don't think John can care much for Miss Wanless.' "'Why not? "'She is the most thoroughly beautiful young woman I ever saw.' "'I don't think he does, because I believe his heart is elsewhere. "'Alice, you have his heart.' "'No. "'I think so, Alice.' "'No, Mr. Rossiter, I have not.' It is not so. I know nothing of Miss Wanless, but I can speak of myself. It seems to me that you are speaking of him now. Then why does he go there? That is just what I cannot answer. Why does he go there? Why do we do the worst thing so often when we see the better? But we don't leave undone the thing which we wish to do, Mr. Rossiter. That is just what we do do. "'Under constraint, Alice, I hope, I hope that you may become his wife.' She endeavoured to deny that it could ever be so. She strove to declare that she herself was much too heart-free for that. But the words would not come to her lips, and she could only sob while she struggled to retain her tears. "'If he does come to you, give him a chance again.' even though he may have been untrue to you for a moment. Then she was left alone among the children. She could dry her tears and suppress her stobs, because Minnie was old enough to know the meaning of them if she saw them. But she could not for a while go back into the house. She left them in the passage and then went out again, and walked up and down a little pathway that ran through the shrubs at the bottom of the garden. I believe his heart is elsewhere. Could it be that it was so? And if so, of what nature can be a man's love, if when it be given in one direction he can go in another with his hand? She could understand that there had not been much heart in it, that he, being a man and not a woman, could have made this turning point of his life an affair of calculation and had taken himself here or there without much love at all, that as he would seek a commodious house, so would he also a convenient wife. Resting on that suggestion to herself, she had dared to declare to her father and mother that Major Rossiter was not a villain, but a perfect gentleman. But all that was not compatible with his father's story. Alice, you have his heart the old man had said. How had it come to pass 
that the old man had known it. And yet the assurance was so sweet, so heavenly, so laden to her ears with divine music, that at this moment she would not even ask herself to disbelieve it. If he does come to you, give him a chance again. Why, yes. Though she never spoke a word of Miss Wanless without praise, though she had tutored herself to swear that Miss Wanless was the very wife for him, yet she knew herself too well not to know that she was better than Miss Wanless. For his sake she could, with a clear conscience, give him a chance again. The dear old parson! He had seen it all. He had known. He had appreciated. If it should ever come to pass that she was to be his daughter-in-law, he should have his reward. She would not tell herself that she expected him to come again, but if he did come, she would give the parson his chance. Such was her idea at that moment, but she was forced to change it before long. End of chapter 4